Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FinTV. I'm joined today by Jihan Muderizolu, who is the Global Operations Planning and Development Director at Danone. Jihan, welcome to FinTV. Thank you for joining us. Thanks a lot. I'm glad to be here. Good. Well, uh, so uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and who you are and your journey so far? Hi again, everyone. Uh, first, wishing everybody is safe with your loved ones. So my name is Jihan, working for Danone as um, Global Planning Director, as Maria was saying. In my current role, I'm very much focused in our uh, digital roadmap, our planning, our technologies, our master data as well our roads to market, how we reach our customers, what are the new channels or what are the channels we need to shift their attention to. I joined from um, Amazon and before Amazon, I was uh, working for L'Oreal. I also worked just a bit for Unilever. Um, I've been mostly in planning roles, supply, demand, production planning, catalog management. I worked for country roles, especially for European countries and France. And now I'm in a global role and I'm based in Paris. So clearly you're in the middle of the lockdown, just like the rest of the world, huh? Yes. Joining from my daughter's room. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th I think that if there's one thing that, that we've talked about with through these podcasts is that we're all having to adapt to the new normal, aren't we? So, so what effect has, uh, has this had on the business at the moment or on you, you know, the, the, the COVID-19 crisis? So at Danone, we are in a particular line of business. As most of you may know, Danone is working on dairy products, plant-based products, uh, water, beverage, and baby food nutrition. So we are in the food business. So the, the, the paradoxical side is that with this current situation, we owe it to our consumers and customers to provide a perfect service even more than any normal times. So I think as a, uh, as a big and global uh, company with the means that we have, we need to ensure it even more than many companies. So the impact on the business is that operations must be running factories, warehouses, trucks, physical operations, they've got to be running so that we can have our products on the shelves. That's one thing. And for me, so for the, for the guys who are in the headquarters at the offices, we need to be also running, running the business, well, from home, obviously. So making sure that our organization, personal and professional organization is fitting. And what we are, what we are seeing currently as well, so besides the current big focus on availability, 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 is of course the uh, safety of our workers at any site, including at home. So we are also very much asked, requested to report on our health from home. It's of course much more impactful at the factories uh, or warehouses, which are the vulnerable part of our business because this, I mean, you cannot prevent that people don't, do not get together. They need to work at the factory. So we have specific measures, obviously distancing, separating the shifts while testing masks, etc. So this is, this is the big impact, the paradox of running the business while the demand is really jumping due to consumers stocking up. In the same time, we cannot run as efficiently as normally due to all the uh, restrictions at the sites, 
at the transportation and also absenteeism because some people cannot simply show off to the work. They have kids or they are, they are sick themselves, etc. You know, it's a huge shift from the, the normal. I think this is something that a lot of people are going through right now, a, a bit of the new normal. Yesterday, I ran a virtual workshop and we were talking about almost three different phases of business. You know, we had the first phase of, oh my God, you know, the panic, the, oh my God, what are we going to do? The second phase of let's fight fires, let's just get through this. There's a third phase, which is the return to the new normal, right? Which is what this is going to look like next. What phase do you think you guys are in right now? Are you still in the firefighting phase or are you starting to look at what this post-COVID world looks like? I can tell, like being very close to both the uh, countries my work with and also being very close to the senior management at the uh, at the worldwide headquarters i can say that the company took it quite calmly the news have been received quite calmly well you've got to know that we are operating in all major countries and all our major markets are highly impacted by the situation our major markets being well us china Uh, Russia, uh, Western Europe. But I think starting from the COMEX, it had been taken very calmly. So contingency plans had been put in place. The work from home uh, had been put in place for people who are not obliged to go to some production site. And it had been, I I think there there, there was a human side which was quite impactful coming from the CEO and the uh, steering committee of countries saying, hey guys, like take care of your personal situation, your health, your family. And you have unlimited freedom to deal with your personal stuff and secure it and then come to work either from home or to the factory. But just, you know, report the situation. In terms of organization, the company created a crisis committee. I mean, all all countries have their crisis committees, but the company itself worldwide has a crisis committee with the COMEX members. They are discussing two or three times a day. So my... My line manager is inside coordinating the operations. So the directors are very clear and there is really safety first. Although we are in the front lines in being in the food industry, like we cannot cut operations, there is no compromise versus health and safety. So I think all teams are working very hard and like it's quite demanding, but I don't, very honestly, I'm not doing it for advertising purposes. I would love to share it very honestly. I'm not seeing a panic effect. People are that's really being good. quite positive. Well, I think that's probably something that needs to, needs to happen. It is a bit of a new normal situation that we've got and we just have to get on with it. What is the role of a you know someone who handles planning? What, what does that look like now in a crisis like this? Information. Actually, what happens is, I mean, I don't want to use make sentences like thanks to COVID situation, but actually, thanks mm-hmm. to the COVID situation, operations now are, I think, the first team running the company. What I mean in a, concretely is the company is fully focused on operations running the operations, making the products available, and in terms of safety as well as the only people who actually go to somewhere, I mean to some work, are operations-related people going to factories, etc. So in both business-wise, so making the products available, and both uh, safety-wise, safety of people who are actually going to work, it's operations. So the coal company's focus is very much in operations, whereas in normal times, it would be about marketing, innovation, and operations would be, I mean, this is, anyways, let's accept it. It's our day-to-day business to make products available. 
at the lowest cost and best efficiency anyways. But now the whole company is focused on operations. We are definitely not focused on the uh, next product, launch, which we are not going to be launching yeah. anyways. <laughs> so yeah. And also in terms of business impact, I've got to say things are currently running in a very different way than it was running in the past years. I mean, I've been with the company for a year, but I've, I know about the past from colleagues. The past years, the company has seen a huge shift into innovation, more and more new, maybe a bit more niche products with small volumes, innovation, seasonal products, as opposed to 10 years ago, where we were very happy launching huge volumes of standard big format yogurts, which is definitely more efficient and financially relevant if you look at it. But the consumer attention was more and more into innovation and smaller smaller brands or smaller sub-brands, let's say. So we were innovating, innovating, launching new products, increasing the SKU count in double digits for every brand, and also expanding our reach into smaller stores as opposed to hypermarkets where you deliver a platform and it's much more efficient logistically than trying to figure out how you deliver thousands of you know, family shops in the, around the street. So those impulse channels were our big attention. Now, uh, with the situation, consumers definitely go to the bigger stores if it's available, the supermarket format. The, the shift that I was mentioning, by the way, was observed everywhere. So every type of country was observing that shift in the consumer behavior. Now with the current situation and restrictions, people go to the closest open available supermarkets, definitely. And I mean, very honestly, consumers are not now keen on discovering the new lunch. They just try to fill the easiest format. If they get a brand that they know, it's even better. So it's a bit of a, I guess, temporary shift to where it was 10 years ago in terms of physical stores. Well, thanks to COVID as well, we see the importance of e-commerce. I think I will yeah. make a chapter out of it in later stages. It makes us shift our attention. But it's a good challenge because our, our slogan is serving our consumers anytime, anywhere. So now they want to be or they need to be. Uh, they don't have a choice, much of a choice. They need to be served in more of a supermarket formats in regular products. And we focus on that. But we need to be very swift. And we simply accepted that the situation, I mean, I'm hoping that the uh, pandemics is going to slow down and stop very soon, but the impacts in the whole industry is going to last easily the whole year. And this yeah. is repeated within the organization that the guys like, again, hopefully pandemics, health risk is going to be away, but its impact is going to be with us. Like, yeah. like, do not fool ourselves is the situation, which is giving us some calm. You know, someone said to me that... Um, you know, the bits of advice that they recommended was not to panic, which is, it sounds like you, you guys are not doing, and, but also to sort of look at the processes that have worked for you guys, for, to people before, you know, you know what to do. People know what to do. They know that they've got good, solid processes. Do you, would you agree that right now is a good time to look at the things that you've been doing well, continue to do them well, to serve your clientele in this crisis? Or is this time to look at new ways of doing things? We have a duality. So besides the fact that with the daily organization and uh, trying to distancing our workers, we, we lose a bit of efficiency, but which is normal and fully acceptable. We have a duality. One is in our advantage because our company is very experimented in serving the uh, bigger stores, either directly or in their platforms. 
this had been the expertise of Danone for decades. I mean, you know, the Danone grew up. Our biggest customer is Walmart. It's not a secret, so I can tell it, I guess. I mean, no wonder that the world's biggest retailer is our biggest customer. So we, we know how to serve those guys, at least in normal circumstances. We know less how to serve uh, very small format stores. And today's attention is back to the bigger stores. So it's a bit of a playing in our advantage in short term. Uh, so we know what to do as long as we find the people and the trucks. However, uh, e-commerce, I cannot tell as much. Oh, yeah? Especially coming from Amazon. So basically our biggest pure player e-commerce customer. I think there is, there is things to do. Okay. Well, that's interesting. We already, you already knew this. I mean, everybody knew this, that there was a very big shift in the way that people bought things in terms of mass customization versus, uh, I guess, personalized products versus mass, <laughs> mass manufacturing, et cetera. Do you think e-commerce is going to play a much bigger role in the future than it has been so far? I, b- I believe so. I believe so. Actually, I lived it back in my time at Amazon. I was working in school products and musical instruments for Amazon France at the start and Europe. So those products are not like typical books or electronics products that are that have been selling online for a long time anyways. Like the core yeah. business, easier to transport and it's the same product. You don't need to really touch it. You can buy online. Yeah. Violins and pianos is a bit another game or school products it's different somehow at the start i mean it had happened in a couple of years at the start even the customers they were saying like come on like okay amazon we know who you are but come on what are you and it it had changed like i've seen it in just a couple of years in france which is not the biggest amazon market and which wasn't some people also were thinking that fashion would not work online well, they deeply regretted it, I guess. Yeah. I make my story, you know, I have some presentations with some guy saying, hey, fashion would never work uh, online. And next to him, I put the guy who says, what is this smartphone thing? It will never work from yeah. when I, iPhone was launching. So food is a bit like this, in my opinion, uh, online. Many people are saying, like, who's going to buy food online? Well, everything uh, can be sold online. And you wouldn't imagine the products that we, we were selling. I mean, we were selling 3,000 euro saxophones, not many of them, online. Yeah. So yes, we can sell yogurts, I believe, deeply. I'm sure. And the yeah. food, and it, it's, it's my personal take, and I'm a, I'm a bit biased after five years at Amazon and 15 years as a customer. But I'm not saying this. We just need to Google it, that the uh, food, in the, food e-commerce is expected to triple by 2023. Food and beverage right. uh, to, they say, 300 billion US dollars. And they say and that, that is before Corona. Well, I was just going to say that now with coronavirus, I think probably that's going to change things even more. So maybe expedite it. Yeah. McKinsey, I believe, uh, says Corona's structural uplift. So after Corona would stand somewhere between plus 300 to 600 basis points on top of the growth that I was mentioning already. Because some people, I guess, are going to get used to e-commerce, whereas they were not buying food or anything else uh, online. There is also the aspect that this is the biggest search engine. This is where the customers, the consumers are looking for products although they can then go to their supermarkets around the street. This is what we try to grasp and we we cannot valorize it quickly either. I mean, we know if we ask Google, Google says that Amazon is twice bigger than Google as a product search engine in the United States. So you better be available at Amazon in that example of United States. But if you are running the day-to-day operations, 
And this is the challenge. And this would be also, uh, if I can uh, recommend, if I may recommend to my colleagues here, if you look only to what it represents today, especially if you are in sectors like food, which is relatively small on e-commerce, but which is the fastest growing e-commerce sector in the world, but which is still small. In our case, we're, we're, we're not, I mean, except some categories, we are talking about 2%, 3% of businesses, even in big markets. If you are in the United States, for example, you can always say, yes, Amazon, United States, like, yes, I know about Amazon, all right. But compared to my other customer, Walmart, it's nothing. If I am to manage without the corona situation, let's say, if I am to manage my day-to-day -day operations and P&L for this year or for this quarter, well, uh, Amazon or not, it remains a very small customer. And that's the trap. That, I yeah. mean, if you only look into the net sales generated by it, that's a trap. It is small and that, that's small. But now we are realizing in our company uh, with, versus with, with our studies, our studies in my division, which is the dairy and plant-based division, so yogurts and plant-based uh, products, coffee creamers in the US, etc. We realized that in our division, the biggest growth driver of the year is going to be e-commerce. So again, it's not going to represent a huge chunk of the business compared to physical retail. But yeah. while going to, I don't know, 5% of the business, I'm rounding up numbers to make them a bit more confidential. We expect it to drive the biggest growth in the markets where it's developed such as north america or europe so now that is on the radar of uh, everyone well especially if you're gonna if you're talking about tripling it you know over the you know the next three years and that is before really the the covid effect the covid effect will have will have an impact on those numbers do, do you think that most supply chain professionals are ready for the e-commerce evolution or the e-commerce revolution no <laughs> A big no. I believe it's yeah. a big no. Obviously, it depends on the sectors. If we are talking about people who are selling computers or books or electronics, yes, I mean, it's been with them. They're ready. For yeah, the past ready. two decades, they are more than ready or they are bankrupt because there, there are no third options. Yeah. But if we are talking about sectors like food or fashion or a bit trickier products to, to deliver online, we are not really ready i would say because again we are not seeing the um, and it's hard to see the full picture if you only again look into the net sales directly generated by some pure players it's small yeah. we have a hard time seeing the net sales generating generated by retailers who also have brick and mortar stores like yeah. walmart but they also yeah. have walmart.com yeah. But it's, uh, it's, it's a bit of a hard game to see what is the share of uh, .com versus the physical stores. So we kind of forget it. And also in focusing on the operations, it's quite painful in terms of delivery. I mean, this is the most demanding type of customer in terms of that should be compliant. I mean, you need to pack it this way. You need to take this kind of delivery slot and you have like a 30 minute slot to deliver. You shouldn't be late. Otherwise, I will reject your truck, but I can be late because I have an issue in my warehouse, etc. It is painful. And if you take only the physical distribution costs with the units who are definitely not full pallets, etc., depending on the products. And if we only look at our logistics costs, I mean, they are, they are high. But if... We look into the whole whole picture, like we are available online and this is, I don't know, walmart.com or amazon.com, whatever, 
that is visited by millions of people. So there is an impact of people mm -hmm. recognize our brand so they can go to the family store around the corner and buy them. Yeah. That we cannot see. And we don't see as well other costs that we are saving. There is a difference between delivering just a couple of platforms in the case of a uh, big retailers or big online retailer e-commerce platforms. There's just a couple of platforms, some dozen maybe, versus delivering thousands of places. There's also a difference having an army of salesmen going to the stores, sometimes really taking care of them versus automating stuff and not employing salespeople not employing a lot of operations people, etc. So yeah. that's, that, that, that's a bit, bit of a trick. We don't see the whole picture in which way we are not ready. And in terms of getting the right assortment, we are not ready either. I think we don't have the mindset of let's push, let's try everything online. We have still the reflexes of let's put a number of references. Personally, I would say let's push everything. The, the country, a country the size of UK, you put one unit... Yeah at Amazon UK or Okado, and it's available for 24 hours delivery in UK. I mean, outside the COVID yeah. situation, obviously. So like put two units, let them, I mean, let them go obsolete. Come on, I'm not gonna be politically correct. It doesn't have a marginal cost, but you yeah. can test. I was mentioning the whole innovation, innovation pace they have. Here we have the information. We would have the information of the real consumer behavior without any speculation of, I'm pushing pallets to hypermicro chains, which are not going to sell maybe, but I just do selling and I'm disconnected from the seller. So there are huge benefits, but um, as opposed to uh, some of the food sector, there are, in my opinion, guys who are not in electronics, but they are who are in FMCG and who are brilliant Procter & Gamble, if I may do some advertising. I haven't been working for them. <laughs> Well, they, they, these are among they Amazon's well. biggest. Yeah, they, they do well. Yeah. They, they figured out yeah. and they have all the subscription plans. And obviously, Gillette and Pampers are a bit more easier to, you know. Yeah. But they, they, they figured out and consumables are a big opportunity. And I think food is somehow consumable. You have, you can get repeated buys. So, so do you think, do you think, I mean, you said something very interesting, which was the mindset, mindset shift that people need to have to, to really understand that e-commerce is coming. It's going to be a big, big part of everything. What, one of the things that I've been hearing is that the COVID-19 virus is bringing people, uh, we're offering companies the sort of unintended benefits, uh, opportunities, such as to perhaps maybe reconfigure business models, look at business models that are more sustainable, perhaps maybe look at business models that would be more friendly to e-commerce. Do you think that this does, this is one of the unintended consequences of the virus? Absolutely. 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 It's, it's a bit of a story of, you know, crisis. I mean, I would obviously wish not, not having crises like this, but crises are prone to innovation. It's, yes. it's the reality yeah. of uh, business, it's the reality of personal lives that makes the decisions faster, yeah. as in the example yeah. of e-commerce for us, or as in the example of our focus back to the uh, bigger chains, brick and mortar chains um, for our consumers. So yes, definitely. And so do you think that this will mean a restructuring of teams, of the way that you organize your business, the way that you look at technology processes? I mean, I've always, digital transformation is something that we were talking quite a lot of before COVID. We're also starting to have this conversation now. Do you think that during the COVID crisis or post COVID, 
we'll have a real opportunity to really get digital transformation right. Absolutely, absolutely. That, that's I, that, I think that's, that's, that's the major example and that's a trap as well. I will come to the trap piece. The, the opportunity is we realize, if we haven't realized for real, we realize how important it is to master what's going on, to be aware. And being aware is numbers, in my opinion. Yeah. We, we cannot emotionally be aware of something. It doesn't work in operations. We are not, with all the respect to poets and writers, we, we, we are not. It's not our job, right? We need numbers. We need figures. We need to figure out what's going on. And we need to manage complexity, which is, with or without COVID, is usually beyond our calculation speed of our brains. So those things, we always say it, and for people who are closer to operations or who work in operations, we have no doubt about the importance of this and the importance and the, and the mindset that digital is not having a fancy user interface and fancy applications. This is about mastering the information and taking decisions and you know focusing on, on the right spots. For us, it was more obvious. I mean, us being operations related people because we are in it for business it may have been less obvious right. maybe more for some aspects because marketing people are also very much number oriented they must be but not for all of us now it raises i mean it it removes all the doubts i was mentioning at the beginning the comex calls the uh, the crisis management team three times a day. Seriously, it could be our COMEX. It could be uh, the biggest, you know, the most senior, most ranked people in the world for Danone, a committee of uh, a dozen people among a hundred thousand. Okay, great. But if they don't have numbers, what do you want them to do? They cannot. Yeah. They? We are simply crippled. So it, in our case, it really removes any doubt about the necessity it removes any uh, suspicion like, yeah, it's a nice to have, you know, but I don't need it. It, become, it becomes essential. It becomes yes. essential, doesn't it? That's, that's so, the so, case. So here's, here's a controversial question then. What do you think, where do you think the companies are going to be that don't embrace, fully, fully embrace digital transformation post-COVID? Well, in a very bad situation. More than bad. Yeah. Of course, we're not going to embrace it. This is our vision as well, but I cannot say that any company is perfect in it. Even the almighty Amazon, which is great mm -hmm. in it, but they, they have things to learn, which they say. Danone, we definitely have a lot to learn. But what we can do is we can keep on moving. And we are, that's a very good case actually in our end, because we are in Danone in the middle of a, a big digital agenda, namely advanced forecasting, advanced supply planning. So, uh, you know, the drill using machine learning in our forecasting, then having connected systems, end-to-end -end systems. So decision, the decision point is, hey, we have the crisis. We, we cannot bother with it, so let's stand by. Or in the opposite, well, if there were any doubt by anyone that is necessary, I guess there is no doubt, and let's move on. So we took the second choice, and we are moving yeah. on at full pace. Yes, working from home, let's having thousands of conference calls. Yes, but... Um, Anyways, we are moving on and yes, we will definitely, we might lose some time. Uh, some people might get reallocated for crisis management, priority to day-to-day -day business. Yes, no problem. But good thing is up to the uh, COMEX level, we have full commitment and endorsement that we should go. And actually we are challenged to even try to accelerate because we really realize that this is happening and this is not a luxury. We are not buying some you know, luxury. We, we've got to do it. Well, and that's the, that's the trap part. The trap would be 
suspend everything. A colleague of mine uh, said recently in a call that we were discussing whether we postpone some country launches because now we are launching countries on this. He said, you know, we will always have a, a good excuse, a good reason to postpone projects because in operations or demand planning, every single day we can find smaller or bigger troubles. You'll so, have complexity <laughs> everywhere. Every, every day there's going to be complexity in some sort. It might not be to the scale of coronavirus, but yeah. certainly you're going to have complexity and that's, that's the job, isn't it? Isn't, isn't the job yeah. of someone in operations to try to find resolution or solutions within complexity or through complexity, yeah? Yeah, and that also relates to what I was saying. Operations are now officially in the front lines of any operating or not operating company because, I mean, mm -hmm. I, besides being a customer, I have no idea about the aviation industry, but as they are more or less stopped, it's going to be also a huge thing to stop and then hopefully get yeah. back. It's going to be a huge, huge operation and stuff. So either you are in food industry or um, home delivery industry, like you are trying to work full pace during COVID, or you are in the aviation that you are kind of stopped, but you need to restart very quickly when it restarts. Operations are really getting at the heart of, um, I think, most companies. And I would say that's also the opportunity to say, let's take it and let's make our technology-related initiatives work. And technology yeah. is not for the sake of technology. It's that's, that's, that's a really important point that you raised there, because some companies have invested in technology for the sake of appearing to be digitalized, you know, or appearing to have some sort of digital transformation going on. You know, you need to adopt technology that is actually going to solve a customer need <laughs> or solve a process within your business. You know, it's actually going to do something. Is there any particular technology that excites you for the future that you think, you know, there's some really interesting stuff coming through? Well, machine learning have been, has been existing and it has been used in forecasting and, you know, accelerating things uh, for a while. So it's not new although it, it could be newer for some companies. What excites me is I'm hoping and expecting that the situation, the learnings from COVID is going to bring us, I mean, companies in a chain, mainly us manufacturers, retailers, our suppliers. I think this is going to bring us together. So any, mm -hmm. any guy, any company in the chain who is not willing to share information, as in the example of a retailer who doesn't want to uh, share the yeah. um, sellout information with the manufacturer, while we now see that it, we cannot live like this. So technology, so, so, what excites me is the technologies who exist or who don't, that will connect different companies. So people that will help, company only. help close the gap for example, or break down the silos between, you know, companies to get that end-to-end -end visibility, that kind of thing. Absolutely. And we are, I mean, we have a way to go doing it within the same company to start with. But what yeah. excites me is that we are now officially obliged to do this with other companies who are our customers or who are our suppliers. There is no other way. Up to here, we were saying, I mean, this is my personal opinion, obviously, but up to here, there was this mindset of some retailers, again, coming back to the retailers, mostly in the Anglo-Saxon world, they would be very much keen on sharing information to make business together so that we can plan better. In some other markets or by some other retailers, the mindset would be a bit different. So let's not share the information. Let's make it otherwise. Each side has its reasons. Each side has intelligent people. They're not doing it to be mean or nice, obviously. 
but now I think it will break this. And now my question and my excitement is, do we really have technologies? Because theoretically, yes. Theoretically, yes. But yeah. do we really have technologies now to connect different companies together? Yeah. And not, you know, uh, throwing Excel files here and there and try to cope with the daily complexity. But tr- truly having connectivity, truly having sharing, truly having that data available to you for better decision making and more visibility really yes and we, i mean i'm not i'm not dreaming and i think it will never happen that we will manage the data uh, let's say danone and walmart in the same day with the same variables etc we try yeah. to do it within danone to start with you know any any company has this challenges to harmonize it within themselves but how to make a real sharing between companies and not doing it manually that 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 is the technology and mindset again that excites me it should start with the mindset because if you don't accept it you can have any rocket science you're going to have it's a, not gonna work. you're going to have adoption issues yeah you'll have adoption issues if you don't get the mind, mindset sorted um, just just briefly before we go, what bit of advice, what pieces of advice or tips that you would have for professionals in the supply chain and the planning field to talk about, you know, f- to give them for the next couple of months whilst we get through this post-COVID, where the, we get through COVID, actually? If I may, I know it's hard. I know that the daily business needs to be managed and, uh, I mean, there is no compromise about it, but I would really recommend not to stop this longer term views, longer term projects, and not only to look the current situation, coming back to again, my examples of advanced planning or my example of uh, the e-commerce channel, which in our case is getting bigger, but mm-hmm. it's by itself not huge currently. So I would, I would really recommend trying to have in mind this longer term vision. And I would also recommend as always to see like, what is the benefit of doing this in our PNL? Let it be technology, let it be new channel. VR operations, and it's always quite difficult to see the direct link with PNL. But I think our mindset would be, okay, our customer service is better, meaning our net sales are going to increase thanks to that, or lost sales are going to decrease. It was a bit of a simplistic example, but that's that's really the piece of advice that I would really, really like to give. Do not stop projects. You, you can kind of, you know, lose a bit of a speed, give new deadlines, etc. But if you have the power to do so, do not stop and try not to remove people who are working on projects and put them elsewhere. That is some great advice. Thank you so much, Jihan. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And uh, I hope we'll be hearing from you again with the exciting things that you're doing with e-commerce and uh, with uh, your new channels. And uh, I'm sure the world is going to be very different in the uh, next couple of months, isn't it? Yeah, hopefully in a positive way after all this craziness I'm sure. is over. I'm wishing yeah, good I'm... health to everyone. Uh, Same to well, you. Thanks a lot for having me as well. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. And uh, for those of you watching, we hope to see you again on FinTV. Thank you very much.